You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. We are now on the eighth installment of the teachings of Bitachon. Bitachon means trust. So just a quick summary. What we spoke about till now was that it is important for every person to know that there is a God. When we know that there is a God, we can take step two, which is we can trust in that God. And we know that that God is there to take care of us, to take care of our every need, and to fulfill all of the duties that are required. Just as a parent takes care of their child, so too Hashem, creator of heaven and earth, takes care of every single want, every single need, every single thing that we desire. So now we are on page uh, 65, chapter 5, True Trust, Enhancing Our Bitachon. The Chavetz Chaim, the Holy Rabbi Yisrael Meir HaKohen, Kagan of Radin. There are so many stories, by the way, to say, to talk about the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim was such a special person. Chavetz Chaim was such a holy person. And as we'll see here in this story, the Chavetz Chaim was a man who trusted 100% in the Almighty, as we will see. He did not want to accept money for his Torah study. He decided to open a small grocery store and thereby fulfill his obligation of Hishtadlut. Last week we mentioned, and the week prior, that there are three different levels of Hishtadlut, of effort that is required. Yes, trusting in Hashem is the ultimate. As we explained, it's a sliding scale where if, if someone has 100% trust in Hashem, they need zero hishtadlut. If someone has 50% trust in Hashem, they need 50% hishtadlut. And if a person has zero trust in Hashem, they need to do 100% hishtadlut. So we hope that we're all in the, in the and we, we brought an example from the mana, where the Jewish people, when they were in the desert, those who had 100% trust, the mana came to them into their home. Those who didn't have so much trust had to leave their home to go get their mana. And those who had absolutely no trust had to leave the camp and go far in order to get their own mana. So there are different levels of hishtadlut. When we talk hishtadlut, it's the effort that is required for the lack of trust. So here we see the Chavetz Chaim did not want to take any money for his Torah learning. So instead, he opened up a small grocery store and thereby fulfilled the obligation of Hishtadlut, of putting forward his effort. He was very sensitive to the teachings that admonish in the Mishnah, that admonish one for using the Torah as a shovel to dig with. In other words, as a tool for making money. He didn't want to accept money for his Torah study. He also heeded King David's advice that teaches us in Psalms, when you eat the fruits of your labor, you shall be happy and all will be well good for you. So as the Chavetz Chaim was immersed in Torah for most of the day, his wife ran the grocery store. In the evening, he handled the bookkeeping and the administration, monitoring inventory and reordering goods. His wife did most of the day-to-day selling. They were exacting in their fulfillment of all the Torah's commandments relating to commerce. They never took a cent that didn't belong to them. They never overcharged. They were uncompromisingly precise in weights and measures. In fact, the Chavetz Chaim saw that there were many storekeepers, Jewish storekeepers, who weren't so precise and weren't so exact 
in their uh, management of the weights and measures. And uh, he actually wrote a book. He wrote a book about the importance of being exact in that. They never misled anyone or made false claims about the goods they sold. As a result, the residents of Rodden flocked to them. They never said a syllable about their competitor. For the Chavetz Chaim and his wife, commerce and the effort of making a living was simply another area of serving Hashem and upholding His commandments. In the Chavetz Chaim's mind, there was no connection between making a living and money. He had to pursue some endeavor to make a living because Hashem wanted him to. But he knew that money comes from Hashem, for mine is the silver and mine is the gold. Thus spoke Hashem, as is written in Haggai 2.8. Money comes from Hashem's decree, not from our work. One day, the Chavetz Chaim's competitor, the proprietor of the grocery store across the street, confronted him and said, Rebbe, what's your secret? I'm out on the street in front of my store trying to pull customers into my store, but they all cross the street and go to your store. The Chavetz Chaim felt terrible that his competitor didn't have an adequate income to feed his family and six children. So he decided to open his store for two hours less a day, for six hours instead of eight. The customers continued to flock to the Chavetz Chaim's grocery store, rather than to his competitor, who didn't exactly run his business according to all the demands of halacha. What's more, the Chavetz Chaim and his wife never argued with a customer and never used pressure sale tactics. Still feeling sorry for his competitor, the Chavetz Chaim kept his store open for a mere four hours a day. The customers still filled the store and sales remained the same as they were when the store was open all day long. The Chavetz Chaim reduced store hours to two hours a day. And all the customers still came to him. Finally, he locked the door and only sold through the back door. The customers all clamored to the back door. Once again, the competitor spoke to the Chavetz Chaim. With tearful eyes, he asked, Rebbe, no matter how briefly your store is opened, why don't any customers come to me? They still flock to you. I heard different versions from two of my teachers of what the Chavetz Chaim answered his competitor. The first version says the Chavetz Chaim answered, if a person thinks that income comes from his business, then he might try to pressure customers into buying. People, especially prospective customers, shy away from pressure tactics and those who resort to them. If they'd only trust Hashem for their income, they'd spear themselves and others from all the pressure and with Hashem's blessing, they'd have all the customers they'd need. The second version relates that the Chavetz Chaim answered as follows. If a person yearns for more time to learn Torah and serves the Almighty, and meanwhile uses the time he does have for Torah and divine service, Hashem gives him his income in progressively less time. When people don't devote time to Torah, Hashem lets them run after income all day long. So at least... They won't be idle. So if you think about that, that's really a remarkable. That means here's the Chavetz Chaim. By the way, just interestingly, it says about the Chavetz Chaim that he, at that little time that he kept the store open, there were some days a week that he would have it completely closed. And the reason was, and he had a sign on his door, go to my competitor, go support him. 
Why? Because he, he said, I only need enough food for Shabbos. And once he had enough food, enough money for Shabbos, he no longer needed anything else. Uh, it's just remarkable. But here's, here's something so amazing here, what the Chavetz Chaim is saying here. Yeah, I want to share with you in a, in a story. I've shared this in other classes, but I want you to, to, to hear this out really, really well. There was, Chavetz Chaim had a great passion for Jews. He had a great passion for the Torah and the mitzvahs and Hashem. And he wanted every Jew to experience the greatness of the Torah, to experience the sweetness of the mitzvahs. So when he heard that there was a Jewish mill that was open on Shabbos, he would send his students over and go talk to the mill owner so that he should close his business on Shabbos. For, you know. So uh, the students went and they spoke to the, to the mill. And if they weren't successful, they'd go back to the Chavetz Chaim and he would go and talk to them. So one time they were talking to a guy who had a steel company. And... They went, the students went, and they spoke to the guy, and they tried persuading him to keep Shabbos and to close his, his factory, and to no avail. So the Chavetz Chaim goes to, to the company uh, owner, and uh, sure enough, the Chavetz Chaim comes back, and the person's closing his factory for Shabbos. So the student said, what did you say? What did you say to him? Well, how did you persuade him? We tried in every single way possible said he couldn't close his fires. We were giving him solutions to when he can close his fires, you know, so that because the fire needed to get to a certain temperature that uh, it would take a couple of days till it would get hot enough. And we were trying to explain how we can do it like this and like that. And he said, so what did you tell him? Chavetz Chaim says, you guys are trying to teach him how to run his business. He says, my business is Shabbos. All I did was talk about Shabbos. I'm not telling him. He'll figure out how to run his own business. The idea here is that if our business is Hashem and connection to Hashem, we'll understand that, interestingly, the Chavetz Chaim is saying that if someone doesn't have enough trust in Hashem, Hashem is going to make him work all day and all night with his business, so at least he stays out of trouble. But the, the work has nothing to do with your income. The effort has nothing to do with your income. Both versions of the story make sense. At any rate, the Chavetz Chaim ended up closing the grocery store altogether so that he would have more time to compose his monumental work, such as guarding the tongue and the Mishnah Brura, which, by the way, is the most fundamental book in every Jewish home, are these two books. The Chavetz Chaim, every home has a Chavetz Chaim, and every Jewish home has the Mishnah Brura. Mishnah Brura is the basic, basic, book of Jewish law on how to conduct life day to day, how to pray, how to wake up, how to go to sleep, the laws of Shabbos, the laws of Yom Tov, all of these. And if you look at the Chavetz Chaim's introduction to his first Sefer of the Chavetz Chaim, which actually was written before he wrote the book. Usually people write introductions after they write the book. But here the Chavetz Chaim writes it before, and he's talking about only Maybe I'll be able to get through all the laws of prayer. It turns out he ended up getting through all the laws of prayer and through all the laws of Shabbos and through all the laws of the holidays and all the laws of Hanukkah and all the laws of Purim and all the laws of Pesach. <laughs> and it keeps on going. And the Chavetz Chaim is six volumes of the Mishnah Brura, which is, again, the, the, the staple in every Jewish home 
today because the Chavetz Chaim was dedicated to one thing. What does God want from me? And everything else would be taken care of. He himself passed away in 94, at 94 years old, but he was traveling till a late age. He was traveling with his books, selling him from, store, from city to city. He would go selling his books, schlepping them from place to place himself. I just want to tell you an amazing story. I don't know if I mentioned I may have mentioned this somewhere in the series, but I told you one of the Rothschilds came to the Chavetz Chaim, perhaps the wealthiest Jewish family at the time, and he says to the Chavetz Chaim, he looks around the Chavetz Chaim's house, he says, where's all your furniture? So he looks at the Baron Rothschild and he says to him, where's your furniture? He says, me? I'm traveling. He says, but you live here. He says, I'm also traveling. I'm also traveling. A Jew always has to remember, the Chavetz Chaim lived a real life. He was always traveling. We're traveling through this world. We're not here to stay. In fact, interesting little uh, piece of, uh, one of my favorite singers and songwriters is a man named A.B. Rottenberg. And he has two songs that are dedicated to this theme. Number one is he has a song, song called Ride a Train. And it's about the train that goes through life and how in different carts you'll have different people with different values. Some people say you're just here for here and some people here are, are here for meaning and get the most out of life because you don't know if the next stop is going to be your stop and life is over. So make the most out of it. That's one story he has in one of his songs, Remarkable, in an album called Journeys 2. And in Journeys 5, he has a beautiful song as well, which is The Journey at Sea. And it is a remarkable song, also beautiful, beautiful melody. And the words are very, very powerful, that we're all on a journey. And some will have it a little bit rockier, some will have it a little, a little bit softer, but everyone is here to get someplace. We're here to go from point A to point B. We're not here to be in existence because this is the way I grew up. We have to make a change. We have to adjust yeah, I may have grown up a certain way, so should I die that way or should I make a little change and be a little bit better by the time I return my soul to the Almighty at the end of time? I think it's both very, very powerful messages that are identical, not exactly the same, but but similar enough for us to, to remember at all times. We learned several important lessons about the meaning of true trust in Hashem and enhancing bitachon from the above story. Number one, a person who trusts in Hashem for income will more readily adhere to the Torah's laws of upright conduct in commerce and all other transactions. If someone has 100% trust in Hashem, they don't need to use trickery. They don't need to be dishonest. They don't need to have a, a trick. No tricks, no gimmicks. Just be straightforward. Number two, a person who trusts in Hashem won't resort to high-pressure methods in his or her dealings and therefore will be more affable. Number three, a person whose sincere orientation is Torah learning and divine service will ultimately attain income with less effort in toil and time. And then number four, the fourth lesson, a person who trusts in Hashem will be far less prone to worry and anxiety, which I think is the most important element here, particularly in our generation. In our generation where we are suffering as a, as a society, as a generation, 
what are they called? Uh, a Xanax, Xanax Nation, right? It, we're a, a, a generation of addiction to anxiety because we need to have control over everything. And the greatest control in the world is in the hands of Hashem. Hashem is the one who controls everything. And we are silly if we think that I can accomplish more with my little teensy-weensy uh, ten fingers and ten toes. I can accomplish more than the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth can. you got to be silly. you got to be... So it's, it really is, it boils down to a person being ready, willing, and able to just let go and take a deep breath and see how Hashem carries you in the most magnificent way, in ways you didn't expect, in ways you didn't know were possible. Stating the above four conclusions more succinctly, we derive four major benefits of enhancing bitachon. Number one, heightened observance of Torah. Number two, heightened personal, personal affability and therefore better interpersonal relationships. You're much more calm, you're much more friendly, you're much more kind and giving and gracious with others. A more pleasurable income, because you, you, know, you have less concern, and better emotional health. There are many more perks for truly trusting in Hashem. But the above four are sufficient incentives for all of us to strengthen our bitachon. So, the city of refuge is an amazing concept the Torah teaches us. That if a person kills by mistake or without witnesses, what happens? They run to a city of refuge. What happens? City of refuge, they're protected. That's like the prison, right? The family members can't go in there and they can't kill him. He's in a safe place. What would happen there? They would have to stay in the city of refuge, all the prisoners, all of these people. They're not actually prisoners, but if they went out, they're in danger of their life. If they were there, they were safe. And the mother of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, would feed them and clothe them and spoil them. So why? Because the Torah tells us that they only go free when the Kohen Gadol dies. When the high priest dies, then all of these guys go free. So think about this. These guys are like murderers row. Okay, these guys are the most wanted. These guys are the no-good nicks of the world. They killed people. They ran away to prison, and now we're worried the mother is feeding them and clothing them so that they don't pray that the Kohen Gadol dies. She's trying to appease them. She's trying to, you know, so that her son doesn't die. I mean, it's the craziest thing. Who are these people? These are the lowest of the low. But you know what? Our sages teach us even the prayers of the lowest of the low have power, have great power. And that's what the mother was afraid of. The mother was afraid, uh-oh, uh-oh, what's going to be if they pray? Yeah, even those low lives, if they pray, there's a power to their prayer. Every person connecting with Hashem, there's a power to it. And it's a power that we must recognize and we must acknowledge that in each and every one of us, we have the unbelievable ability to do the most remarkable things. You don't have to be the sage of the of the generation and to be the righteous one of the generation. Each and every one of us, the simple little guys, each and every, you and I, 
have the most incredible opportunity to connect with the Almighty. And the best way to do so is through bitachon, just letting Hashem run things for us. He's got it. He's in control. Three garments of the soul, three stages to enhancing bitachon. There are three levels of the soul that correspond to three functions of the body, which in turn correspond to the three garments of the soul. Let's view them from most internal to most external. The internal level of the neshama is the neshama, the divine soul, which is housed deep inside the brain. Our thoughts clothe neshama, for they are the innermost garments of the soul. The middle level of the soul is ruach, the human spirit, which gives the human being the power of speech. Speech, in turn, clothes ruach, the human spirit. The external level of the soul is nefesh, the basic vital soul that permeates one's blood throughout every limb of a person. Our deeds, therefore, serve as the garment of the nefesh, the basic vital soul. Attaining true trust in Hashem necessitates infusing bitachon into all three levels of the soul. One, therefore, builds and strengthens bitachon in three ways by thought, by speech, and by deed, so that bitachon successfully permeates neshama, ruach, and nefesh. This constitutes the ultimate internalization of bitachon. Let's now see how to accomplish this on a practical level that anyone can attain with sufficient effort and dedication. So we see here there are three parts. There is the thought, there is the speech, And there is the deed. What does that mean? What's the thought? The thought. Just having the thought, the concept in our mind that Hashem is in control of everything. He's got it. Okay? We can do that. Right? We can do that. We can do that. We can think about it in our own mind, understand that concept clearly. The next is by speech. Speech is speaking it out. Because when we say something, in fact, in prayer, we say that every person who prays should pray so that their ears can hear them. Why? Because it adds concentration, it adds focus, it adds uh, intention. When you speak things out, you bring it to life. You bring life to the words when you speak them out. So if someone says, Hashem, I trust you, Hashem, I believe in you. Hashem, I know you're there and I know you're going to take care of it. That speech brings that feeling, that thought into reality. And then indeed, in the way we act, we ensure that there is a trust in Hashem, that we're not worried about how it's going to work out. Let's see for ourselves how this works. Enhancing bitachon on the thought level. The sages of the Great Assembly who codified our liturgy, our prayers, encourage us to strive for the level of bitachon that permeates the innermost level of the soul. In the Mishan Umiftach Latzadikim of the weekday blessing, we ask Hashem to reward those who truly trust Hashem and to place our lot among them. The gullible think that this prayer is asking Hashem to place our lot among those who receive rewards. That is an utter misconception of the prayer. Reb Arle, 
writes in his magnum opus, Shomer Emunim, that when bitachon permeates one's thoughts, one no longer worries about anything or fears of anything. A person on this level can cling to Hashem for no negative thoughts interfere. Such a person enjoys clarity of thought. This, says Rabarla, is what we pray for, to be on the third level of those who trust Hashem, who truly trust Hashem. That in itself is the greatest reward. There are two prime ways to enhance bitachon on the thought level. The first is by learning, and the second is by observation. So what is learning? The goal of this modest book is to give the reader a clear, practical, and readily applicable guide to bitachon. What it is, its benefits to each individual and the ways of attaining it. In no way does this book presume to be an authoritative source, but it is based on authoritative sources and attempts to bring the reader to a general acquaintance with them. As such, this book has been prepared as a pocket guide to be read and reviewed constantly with the goal of constantly deepening our internalization of trust in Hashem. Those who are interested in delving deeper into the subject of Bitochun should learn the gates of trust by Rabbeinu Bechaya, duties of the heart. Although a personal favorite source of mine is the discourse on Bitochun and Ischaskus, a major chapter of Shomer Munim, yet this latter source does not yet appear in English. So what the rabbi is telling us here is to constantly be learning about Bitochun. Learn about it, read about it. Um, I personally have, I was just looking up my notes on Bitachon before. You see, we're, we're learning with this book from Rabbi Laser Brody, but I've given many classes on Bitachon over the years, and I found pages and pages and pages of notes. And notes, and I looked, and I'm like, what? I, I, just, I don't remember that story. I don't remember that story. But uh, I wanted this class to be fresh, so I didn't pull out my, own, my old notes for this. Because it's a very important topic, and we should never stop raising our level of efficiency with the trait of Pitachon. We should constantly review and reaffirm our commitment to this feeling and this knowledge that Hashem has got it under control. Okay, in the category of observation, together with learning, one cannot exaggerate the importance of observation. The divine soul, the neshama, gives a person the power of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, or chachma, bina, and das. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Knowledge, or das, is not the type of encyclopedia fact-storing in the brain as it implies in English. Das is derived from proper observation. The power of deduction from using wisdom and understanding to arrive at and internalize accurate conclusions, as we shall soon see with Hashem's guidance. Observation, his bonunus in Hebrew, is so vital in serving Hashem in general, and in attaining bitachon in particular, that one of the stiffest rebukes in the entire Tanakh is that of Isaiah, when he bitterly chastises the nation in the name of Hashem, Hear, O heaven, and give ear, O earth. For Hashem has spoken, Children I have reared and lifted, but they have rebelled against me. 
The ox knows his owner, and the donkey, his master's feed trough. But Israel does not know my nation has not observed. Amazing. What has the nation of Israel failed to observe? The fact that the ox and the donkey are well aware of their master who feeds them. Isaiah chastises the nation for failing to observe who feeds them. Does any effort on their part bring the rains? Who provides the oxygen and sunlight necessary for plant growth and for human life? The lack of bitachon is a lack of observation. The lack of bitachon is a lack of observation, meaning look at the world. Look at how this incredible world operates and tell me that there isn't a God running this world. It's not the intelligent who are the atheists. It's the idiots who are the atheists. It's the ones who, you know, some people think, oh, you're an atheist, you know, so intellectual, so smart. No, it's the person who didn't give two thoughts of God in this world. Chazaka. You familiar with the established pattern rule? Chazaka. If you do something three times, it's called a chazaka. It's, it's you've created an established pattern. It's a big idea in Jewish law. We'll see. Chazaka, the Hebrew word for an established pattern, is a concept that appears all through rabbinical law and a very determining factor. Three consecutive times constitutes an established pattern in rabbinic law. As soon as a pattern is established, we assume that the pattern will continue. For example, there is a major difference between a bull that kills the neighbor's bull for the first time and between a bull that has killed three times. The latter is known as a killer bull, for it has established a halachically recognized pattern as a killer. Let's apply this concept to the Almighty. Most of us eat three meals a day. The only time when we have nothing to eat or drink is when we voluntarily refrain from eating or drinking, like on Yom Kippur or on Tisha B'av, where Shafas days. Otherwise, we eat approximately a thousand meals per year. Now, understand why Isaiah the prophet was so incensed at the nation's lack of observation. A 30-year-old person has enjoyed some 30,000 meals in a row. A 50-year-old person has enjoyed 50,000 meals in a row. If a mere three is admissible proof in any court, in any rabbinic court, of an established pattern, Hasn't Hashem proved beyond a doubt that he provides for us? Isn't that a chazaka, an established pattern? Thousands of times more than the required amount to prove an established pattern. Hashem continues to feed us. Why then are we so worried about where our next meal is coming from? I want to add, I mentioned this again previously, I don't know if someone who's listening to this as a podcast is hearing this for the first time, but Moshe goes to God and he says, I want to see your face. Now, Hashem doesn't have a face, but he wants to see his face. Hashem says, no, you can only see my back. So this uh, big question, what does this mean even? Hashem doesn't have a back just like he doesn't have a face. What is Moshe asking and what is Hashem responding? Say, just tell us what Moshe is asking. He says, I want to see the face, which means the future. Hashem, I want to understand what the future is going to unfold, meaning where's my next meal coming from? 
What's going to happen at the end? What's going to happen? Shem says, no. You want to see me? Look to my back. What does the back mean? To the past. Look to my past. Have I ever let you down? Has there ever been a time that I dropped the ball? Has there ever been a time that God fell through? The answer uniformly is always no. God never dropped the ball. He never neglected his responsibilities. And yet people have such a hard time giving Hashem this established pattern of trustworthiness. As we can see, a lack of observation not only hinders bitachon, but is a source of embarrassment and an affront to Hashem. We are therefore obligated to observe and appreciate the myriad of blessings we enjoy every day, for this strengthens our bitachon. Okay, so that is about observation. We talked about learning, to learn more, and to use the whole thought level, the whole thought level to gain our next rung in trust in Hashem. So how do we enhance our bitochon on a speech level? What speech do we have? What, what's the most common speech that we have as human beings? Prayer, and particularly personal prayer, enhance bitochon in two ways. Just by the way, this coming Monday, this coming Monday is Hanukkah. Well, actually, Sunday night, because Monday begins on Sunday night. So the first light of the menorah will be this Sunday night. And we're going to light for eight days till the following Sunday night. We're going to light the last menorah light. I was learning with my study partner. We're learning about Hanukkah. We're preparing already for almost a month. We've been learning about Hanukkah, the spiritual depths of Hanukkah. And the author of this book is explaining the frustration that most people have with Hanukkah. Is that Hanukkah is an unbelievable holiday with unbelievable potential. And then comes Hanukkah, we're all with anticipation. We have our menorahs set up. We have everything exciting. You know, we're, we're all geared up for it. And then we just don't feel the uplifting spirit that we want to feel on Hanukkah. It's sort of sometimes feel like it's not living up to what we had hoped for it to be spiritually. So the rabbi writes so beautifully the importance of, of praying for your spirituality. You think you're just going to walk in, show up on Hanukkah day, and feel the connection? Someone feels that on Sukkot or on on Pesach or on Shavuot or Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, you're just going to show up in synagogue and you're just going to feel it? Maybe if you're lucky. He says there are a number of things that you need to do. Preparing, getting advance, warm-up for the holiday. But most importantly, he says, is pray for your spirituality. Say, Hashem, I want to connect. I want to feel that connection. I want to feel that holiness. When I light the menorah, I don't want it to be like every other day. Like every other year, I light the menorah, we sing the songs, and we go home. We just do our thing. We eat latkes and sufganiyot. That's not what Hanukkah is about. There's such great depths in Hanukkah, such holy, lofty levels that one can attain in Hanukkah. So how do I reach it? Well, of course, prepare. 
But then even more than preparing, there are plenty of times when you prepare and you still don't feel it. You have to pray. Prayer is the greatest power that we have to communicate with God and ask with an open heart, even with a broken heart, to ask for what it is that we want, and particularly when it pertains to our spiritual pursuits. Prayer, and particularly personal prayer, enhance bitachon in two ways. First, prayer elicits divine assistance. One cannot possibly attain anything of value, especially a priceless spiritual acquisition like emunah or bitachon, without soliciting Hashem's help. The more we desire something, the more we pray for it. And the more we pray for it, the more we enhance our chances of attaining it. Secondly, prayer, especially personal prayer, enhances our, per, our individual, intimate, personal relationship with Hashem. The more we speak to Hashem, the more we feel His active divine intervention in our lives. The more we see and feel His divine intervention or providence, the more we strengthen bitachon. The Rambam says that a person's actions, especially prayer, profoundly influence that, that person. A person who perseveres in prayer will eventually attain what he or she prays for. King David says, I trusted even when I spoke. The more we speak words of trust, the more we feel trust. It's like we mentioned so many times in our Musar classes. You speak it, you'll feel it. For example, if someone is constantly saying, I love you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. You know what that does in a person? That builds in a person a recognition that Hashem is there. It builds in a person a relationship with Hashem. It builds in a, in a person a, a confidence, a knowledge that Hashem is right there with them at every step. Therefore, another way of enhancing bitachon on the speech level is by repeating key passages from Psalms and prophets that deal with bitachon until they literally become second nature. Here are a few examples. Psalms, and those who know your name will trust you, for you have not forsaken those who seek you, Hashem. I have trusted in your mercy, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I sing to Hashem, for he has dealt bountifully with me. Another, in you our forefathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. So imagine imagine if a person repeated these constantly to himself. As for me, I have trusted in Hashem and said, You are my God. Another, our heart rejoices in Him, for we have trusted in His holy name. Another, a sixth one from Psalms, Better to trust in Hashem than to trust in man. Better to trust in Hashem than to trust in benefactors. That's 118, verse 8 and 9. This is only a small sample. As we see, reciting psalms is immensely conducive to enhancing bitachon. There are several more examples here from Isaiah and Jeremiah. But the bottom line is, enhancing bitachon in a speech level is to talk it out. Talk to Hashem. 
and reaffirm these ideas. And the last level we said is in the D level. Since there is so much to say about actions that enhance bitachon and are directly conducive to a more pleasurable and stress-free income, we devote our entire next chapter to this subject. God willing, we'll learn about the actions that infuse bitachon into every limb of our body. And that we will get to next week. So my dear friends, thus far, I think we've had a remarkable teaching on what it means to be trusting in Hashem. And there are tools that we can use in our thought. Think about the world. Think about every single gift that you that has been bestowed upon you. And internalize that. We have to internalize that. Hashem loves me. I just want to finish off with my personal thanks to Hashem. You know, when I was seven months old, I was hospitalized in critical condition with meningitis. And this day, 44 years ago, I was in the hospital. And it was on the first night of Hanukkah that I came home healthy. And I feel it as a debt of gratitude to the Almighty that every year, Hanukkah time, I thank Hashem. I thank Hashem for the life He's given me, for the opportunity to serve Him, for the opportunity to teach His Torah, and for the opportunity to enjoy His world. And one of the greatest pleasures I have in this world is learning Hashem's Torah, teaching His Torah, and connecting with His Torah. I want to thank each and every one of you for being here. And of course, I thank Hashem for giving me every minute of my life. Thank you. Have a great night, everybody. You've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, a Torch production. Become a supporter at torchweb.org because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe. To find more lessons offered by Torch, please visit torchpodcast.com